0: This is Where We Live. I'm John Dankowski. Ever since the merger of the state's four state colleges with the community college system to form the new CSU system, it's been plagued by controversy and cost overruns. Now, a new president of the Board of Regents, former chief of staff to Governor Malloy, Marco Jakian, is trying to change the culture. He walks, though, into contentious contract negotiations with faculty, many of whom were stunned by state proposals that could mean more part time teaching staff, more office hours for faculty, the elimination of research grants and would mean tenured staff could be transferred to another regional university without their consent. Now last month Marco Jakin was on our program to talk about the labor negotiations. He talked about his predecessor Gregory Gray who did not have much confidence within the state university community.
1: Just you know not a lot of confidence from faculty members and administrators across the state that he was the right fit for the job and so I entered this arena with a fresh perspective with a different set of skills and I'm already seeing as I travel to each campus a lot more optimism and a lot more confidence that together we can move the system forward.
0: Today in the program we're going to hear from faculty members to see how much optimism and confidence they have. If you want to join the conversation, eight six oh two seven five seven two six six. Again, eight six oh two seven five seven two six six. You can comment on our website WNPR.org slash where we live. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Joining us is Stephen Adair. He's a professor of sociology at uh, CCSU, and he's a faculty representative on the Board of Regents. Stephen, welcome to the program. Good morning, John. Uh, Kathy Hermes is here. She's pre, uh, uh, professor of history at CCSU and chair of the department there. And, Kathy, welcome to the show. Thank you
2: thanks for having me
0: and uh, joining us is Matthew Warschauer he's a professor of history at Central Connecticut State University he's joined us on the program and on WNPR a number of times for a variety of issues but never on this particular issue which really has to get to the heart of your job and uh, Matt welcome back to the program thanks for being here
3: good morning John thanks a lot for having us and...
0: so, so well so, so you heard a little bit from Marco Jakien there and you certainly heard from him on the program I laid out very very briefly some of the things that were in the um, the proposal that went to faculty and staff maybe you can help us Frame what we're talking about here today. Has anything changed since those initial proposals came out to faculty?
3: Well, I uh, know nothing has really changed. The negotiations are still ongoing, and they are closed negotiations. We, you know, we get some uh, inkling uh, from our representatives of, of what's happening, but certainly we don't know everything that's going on there. Uh, and you know, you know, the way that you frame my my presentation, you know, of being here today is, uh, you know, we're talking about what I do. Uh, this is, you know, I've, I've had the pleasure of being on your show many times. I always enjoy it. But I really do think this is the most important discussion you and I uh, have ever had. Uh, I I know this system very, very well. I, I went to Norwalk Community College uh, as a very young man. I was not ready for college right away. I went to Norwalk Community College. Uh, I did three semesters there. And then I transferred to CCSU and, and got my my degree there and then went on for my master's and my doctorate. And so you know, I'm, I'm a first-hand example of what this system can do for students who maybe come in not quite knowing what they want to do, and then find just unbelievable professors and mentors who can help them along the way. Uh, and I've seen it uh, in myself. I've seen it in students who, who we, as professors, have worked with. This is an incredibly important place. For students to get a step up in the world and to contribute back to their state. And, and you know, that's why faculty are so concerned with what's going on. Uh, you know, you said, Mr. Ajakian, in, uh, in your, your front piece that he's seeing uh, a lot of optimism and, you know, a path forward. Uh, we, we are not seeing that. The faculty are not seeing that right now. And I think there's a lot of things that we can talk about today. Um, I don't think I need to, we'll I'm sure we'll get into this. I don't think I need to rehash all of the problems with the board and, you know, we have numbers and all, all that kind of stuff. I think people know. I think, I think one of the big problems is that uh, for me, it's really three key things. One is I, I don't think that the systems office really understands the institutional culture at the universities. They've come in and they haven't spent the time to get to, to understand what it is we really do and how we actually go about doing it. Uh, there is also, uh, there is some room for optimism, I think. Uh, I, I would like to talk more about this today, but Mr. Ojekian has really a tremendous opportunity here if he does certain things. And then there's the issue of why are faculty, so, in fact, so upset. And I think the easiest way to explain this is, you know, we, you know, I know for myself and I think all of your listeners value NPR tremendously. They value your show. They know that you are always in economic, you know, crunch time. You're you're constantly doing, you know, I called in last week and I donated my money and re up my membership to NPR. And Thank now imagine you. if a corporate radio exec was hired to run NPR and they came in and they said, you know, John, we've hired an outside consulting firm. And, you know, we think We've got some ideas for how you can better your show, and we can better the station. We'd like you to have these kinds of guests from now on. Uh, every fifteen minutes, we want you to run a sports uh, segment. You know that updates scores, and and we're going to have some content for your show that we're going to buy from CBS. That's the way we're going to move forward. You, <laughs> I like the look, John. Well, uh, well,
0: no, I'm just going to stop you. Is that what's happening? I mean, essentially. Are you being told that the, the state university system, this system, which is only a couple of years old in the current formation, is being turned into a commercial system? It's going to be doing the equivalent of sports as opposed to the equivalent of history? That sounds to me, frankly, Matt, like a bit of hyperbole. Give me, it, a, give me a sense.
3: It's not hyperbole. Okay. I can give you very specifics. Boston Consulting Group paid $1.97 million to develop content for the system. They, what they produced was a ridiculous set of PowerPoint slides that no one at our universities are going to utilize. It was a key example of... The, the you know the people in the system not understanding what it is we do and and thinking that they can solve problems.
0: When, when, you, say, when you say that there's not an understanding of the institutional culture, what is I mean and I'm gonna ask actually all of our guests to maybe just this could be a, a good first question here. What is the institutional culture? Explain what, what it is, the thing that people aren't getting uh, at the state level, at the uh, maybe at the administration level, maybe Mr. Ojakin, what is it they don't understand about the institutional culture?
3: I think the most basic element that they don't understand is they don't get that the the universities are perfectly, perfectly capable of running our own programs. We're capable of running our academic programs. The faculty have they have the faculty have devoted their lives to knowledge and learning and working with students. We actually know what we're doing. We know how to run our programs. The the people who run the universities themselves, the administrators, the people in facilities, they know how to do that. And you've got this outside agency that comes in that hasn't spent time to learn about what we do. And I'll give you another perfect money example. Uh, The the Board of Regents hired, uh, the systems office, hired a company called Sightlines to come in and work on the architectural designs and what the plans for gr- building should be at the universities. They spent over $2 million to do that. Believe it or not, we have excellent facilities departments at our universities, and they've got master plans, and they don't need somebody to come in. We need we, I think the system could work for us. It could work. But we don't need to be micromanaged. That's part of the institutional culture problem. They don't really know what it is we do and how we do it. There's so many people on the BOR who have no higher education experience at all.
0: At the uh, BOR is the Board of Regents, which we're, we're talking about here, and we're talking with members of the faculty at uh, Connecticut State University System as they are in negotiations with the state of Connecticut. We had Marco Jakian on the program a couple weeks ago, and now we're uh, meeting with some faculty members to talk a bit about higher education at the state universities. If you want to join us, 860-275-7266. Um, Kathy Hermas, maybe I'll turn to you and, and ask you uh, something about the institution that you have and also what it is about institutional culture that maybe is not understood by those uh, at the Board of Regents level?
2: Sure. I mean, I'm a department chair, and I can just speak from my experience. We've spent a lot of time building the history department in a way that fits our students and our particular needs. So we have people who complement one another. We have different fields covered, but we also complement one another in our teaching styles and that kind of thing. And I think a problem that is emblematic of the systems office is the proposal to move faculty members from campus to campus. Um, This is, I think, primarily the idea of Nick D'Onofrio, the chair of the Board of Regents, and I'll explain that more in a minute. The problem with moving faculty members around is that you destroy the ethos of a department. Our students know what they can get at CCSU in the history department. And they know from whom they can get it. And when students, prospective students, come to the department, we pitch it to them. We show them a particular kind of history department. We emphasize public history a lot and public outreach, for example. Um, You don't get that same history department at Southern. You don't get it at Eastern. There are good history departments in those places, but it's not the same. So what... What I think they're really saying in the contract is rich kids who want to go to Williams or Smith or Yale or Harvard can shop around and they can pick departments that will be stable, that will have their ethos intact. But these poor working class kids or the middle class kids of Connecticut who can't afford better, they're stuck with what they get.
0: Is the problem... That the system really shouldn't be the system that it is, that, that the structure of the four state universities and the community colleges all wedged together into this one system that's, again, divorced from the University of Connecticut, which is maybe something we'll get into a little right. bit later, um, is, is it just a structural problem? Do we just have the wrong alignment of resources here?
2: Well, at first, I was not happy to be merged with the community colleges. I do feel like the universities and community colleges have different missions. But now that we are merged, I don't see it as so much a structural problem as a vision problem. Mr. D'Onofrio, for example, has um, written a book. It's called Making Value in America. And in that book, he really outlines, I think, his whole strategic vision of what education should be like in America. And he says it's multidisciplinary, it's entrepreneurial. But when he talks about it being multidisciplinary, what he really means is the business school, the engineering school, and the public health school ought to talk to each other more. There's nothing in this book that talks about philosophy or ethics or history or literature or anything related to the liberal arts. Um, Mr. D'Onofrio was on the Commission for the Future of Higher Education convened in 2006 by George W. Bush's Secretary of Education, Margaret Spellings, who, by the way, is now the president of the University of North Carolina system, just appointed a few weeks ago. Um, Mr. D'Onofrio and Margaret Spellings are no-child-left-behind leaders. And no-child-left-behind, as you know, is, has just been, I think, tossed in the trash can probably where it belongs, um, except when it comes now to the colleges and universities in Connecticut. That's where we're heading. Um, Mr. D'Onofrio's vision is one in which we buy content from outside providers. Um, we can create some of the own content ourselves. We're content creators. We're educational facilitators. And our students are content consumers. The He doesn't see the professor-student relationship as a special one, um, or one that involves mentoring or broadening the minds. He sees innovation as something that's disruptive, and um, and pretty fixed in entrepreneurship and technology.
0: Uh, I, I, I want to turn to Stephen Adair because I assume that be, because of your place um, as a faculty representative on the Board of Regents, you've been a little closer to some of these negotiations than than
1: the other two panelists. Do I have that right? Um, I think there's many things that I could comment on in regards to the history of the board over the last three or four years, and um, could both talk about some of the problems at the board, as well as some of the promise that's associated with the merger between the state universities and the community colleges. Um, but th- in terms of negotiations, all of that is really outside of what it, I'm able to perceive. For all kinds of reasons, I am excluded from executive session, and all of the collective bargaining discussions take place inside of executive session. So I'm really unable to comment for the board on what their intent is in those collective bargaining discussions.
0: So in the collective bargaining discussions there that are being had, that are in executive session, there are no faculty representatives uh, there, obviously. That's right? true. Okay. Yes. Um, just Just to get to one of the points, because there's a whole... A series of proposals that we could get to directly, but but since it was just talked about, this proposal that would allow uh, faculty members to be moved uh, from one campus to the other. The notion is, I believe, that there are some programs or maybe some classes that won't have the requisite number of students to actually make it uh, financially feasible to keep them uh, at the campus where they are, and so you might have a very talented faculty member moving someplace else where they're talents could be best utilized. Doesn't that sound like a a good thing from a uh, resource standpoint if
1: the state indeed has limited resources? Yes. In in the current contract that we have, there's a process that can take place if, in fact, a program becomes severely under-enrolled, that there can be discussions and a a real process that takes place where um, faculty can be realigned and their... um, courses that they teach, as well as their program, can be readjusted. So that already exists. Um, The current proposal in the contract, however, allows um, not only for people to be moved from place to place, but for the administration to suggest that there'll be programmatic changes, and those programmatic changes would be enough to trigger layoffs. Um, So part of the reason for the opposition is that the faculty are interested in protecting tenure and see tenure as a feature of academic freedom and the ability to be able to not only move people from campus to campus, but to lay people off for programmatic reasons is particularly troubling. Is there a problem with under-enrollment? There are undoubtedly um, programs across the system where there are um, not enough enrollments to sort of sustain those programs. That's true, but those are also um, monitored on a continuing basis. There's a yearly report that each institution must make to the board in regards to unenrolled programs. How,
0: how, sh- how to deal with that? If there are indeed under-enrolled programs, Matt, what, what do we do about that? What's the sensible way to approach that?
3: Oh, we've got really good examples of it that are going on right now. For example, uh, language programs over, over the last many years have becoming, you know, the, the enrollments are lower and lower. And one of the things that the, the universities did is, they made a determination that uh, you know we can 't offer every single language at every single university, so I believe that it is CCSU took on French and and uh, uh, Southern took on German, and they have they 're using uh, uh, not online, but smart classrooms in order to teach those things. And my understanding is it's working out very, very well. And I think what Stephen just said is exactly right, is there are, there's already language in the contract to deal with things like this. It's not as though we haven't, had, we haven't had these challenges before. We've had these challenges throughout the existence of the university. And the university, at least CCSU, has been around for 150 years. Somehow we've managed to make it work. And what the, the language change in the contract Has been. It had always been what they referred to as financial exigency. If there's a problem for financial reasons, we can change it. Now they've changed the language to programmatic and economic conditions. That can mean virtually anything. And you know, one of the things we've been saying, and Mr. Ojikian has been very forthright in saying, look, we're not trying to corporatize higher education. We're not trying to privatize it. We're we're not going to be shutting down programs. Well, you know, the contract, what the BOR has done in terms of outside contracts speaks to a completely different direction that they're going. And then when you put this kind of language, which really doesn't have any certainty to it at all, we get concerned. Um, we're talking
0: today with uh, Matt Warshower, who's a professor of history at Central Connecticut State University. Uh, Kathy Hermes, who's the chair of the history department at CCSU. Stephen Adair, who's a sociology professor there. And we're talking about the CSU system and what it's doing to negotiate right now with the state of Connecticut. A couple of weeks ago, we had on Marco Jakey. And I should say, as I did during that program, that I'm a former uh, faculty member at Central Connecticut State University. I, I don't currently teach there, but everyone should know that. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to take some more of your phone calls at 860 57266 and get some of your tweets at where we live This is Where We Live. I'm John Dankosky. Today we're talking about the state university system and some of the concerns that faculty members have with new proposals that have come out within the last several months uh, about changes to this system. If you want to join us, 860-275-7266. I want to quickly go to the phones here. A.J. is calling from Stanford. Hi there, A.J. Go ahead.
4: Yes. Um, I noticed that, um, you know, your guests have been talking about the institutional uh, culture and how um you know there you know we have some unbelievable professors and mentors in the system, but uh, and, you know another one of your guests you know i 'm going to quote her, she said, "We know how to run our programs. What about when the programs don't match the student demographics? you know, as far as um the number of faculty members of people of color versus uh the number of students of color attending an institution whose funds you know, um, uh, who, whose demographics are used to garner funds that are then distributed and managed by people who are not from their communities, such as at Norwalk Community College, even in the classrooms, there are only two out of 102 uh, full-time professors who are African-American. What about that institutional culture? Is that going to be addressed also?
0: Uh, A.J., thank you very much for that. Uh, Kathy Hermes, do you have a, a quick thought on that?
2: Sure. Um I think it's really important to diversify the faculty. One of the problems with this new contract proposal is that they're actually suggesting fewer full-time faculty lines and more part-time faculty lines. They've also spent an awful lot of – the Board of Regents has also spent an awful lot of money on outside consultants. If we had been hiring faculty, we could have been diversifying all along. I think it's extremely important – to start hiring faculty members who match our demographics and reach our student body.
0: Uh, speaking of part-time faculty members, I want to quickly bring on uh, Kim Dorfman, who's an adjunct representative to the English Department. Um, and Kim joins us by phone. Kim, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for joining us.
5: Oh, thank you, John. Um, oh, it's, it's interesting because, um, well, first let me ask you, how does it uh, just – Proposal impact the adjunct community. Um, do we have anything at stake besides the possible loss of of academic freedom as the norm?
0: Mm. So, so you're asking a question
1: of of, of our panelists.
5: I am. Yeah, uh, Stephen perhaps. Adair. Do you it's have a thought about that? More more knowledgeable than I.
1: Um, uh, certainly, adjunct faculty are, are vital to the success of all of our institutions. Yet, at the same time, we um, have become overly dependent upon the number of courses and programs that have been um, taught by adjuncts. The um, Having full-time faculty is really necessary to provide advice, academic advising, mentoring of students for developing relationships, for um, administering the curriculum, for developing curriculum, that all of those things are really necessary in order to have a full-time faculty to be able to do. So um, adjunct faculty are certainly vital um, to the success of our institutions, um, and we do anything we can to to support them, certainly in the um, current proposals from the AAUP, the union sort of representing the faculty, there are several things that are in there to try to um, improve the quality of adjunct faculty, um, both in terms of pay, as well as their ability to be able to participate inside of faculty governance.
0: Uh, Kim, what is life like as an adjunct faculty member in the CSU system right now? and, And what would you like to see it be like?
5: Well, for starters, it would be nice if we weren't really, um, seen as so much lower than the—I'm uh, sorry, I'm in the middle of giving an exam, believe it or not, so my mind isn't really <laughs> focused—but um, it's it's kind of denigration sometimes. we. I, I've been teaching at Central for 14 years. I have an MFA, which is a terminal degree. The reason that I'm an adjunct, rather than being a— professor, a regular professor, um, is that there are no lines in my field open. And that's why many adjunct faculty um, are adjuncts rather than full timers. So it's not because we're inferior or have less experience or less education in any way at all. Um, I think there has been a great deal of progress made in the last few years. Certainly, um, just speaking for myself, mm. uh, I am uh, representative of the English adjuncts in department meetings with the voting rights, and I am um, also the union uh, rep for adjuncts in the English department. So in that regard, um things
0: have improved quite a bit. Um, we, hey, well, hey, Kim, I'm just going to I'm going to put you on hold for just a second. And I appreciate very much you you joining us, uh, especially since you're right in the middle of something uh, obviously very, very important. I just want to get a quick thought um, from, from a couple of our guests on that. I, Matt Worschauer, I mean, I think part of what I hear Kim saying, and, and she may speak for some other adjuncts, but maybe not for all of them, um, much like the members of the faculty at the CSU system at both the community college and also at the state university system have felt somewhat denigrated by the way the Board of Regents has approached this. Um, she seems to be saying that those part-time faculty seem to be being denigrated by some of the um, language being used around the, um, uh, the work that they do. Is there something to what she is saying?
3: Well, I think, you know, we've worked with adjuncts in our department uh, for a long, long time in the history department, and most of our adjuncts, the vast majority of them, I'd say 85, 90 percent, have been with us for a long, long time. And for, I can speak, you know, mainly for our department is that we we value them, and they know that we value them. We consider them uh, total professionals, but unfortunately, the way that the university system has been going, not just ours, but around the country, is that as less full time members are are employed uh tenure track members are employed more adjuncts are employed, and they they don't get uh health benefits they get paid you know a flat fee for their courses and there's a lot of uh very smart, very talented people who are out there sort of uh doing the what some of us refer to as sort of academic slumming and where they have to go from institution to institution to institution uh and it's you know, it's not that they don't do a great job in the classroom. They do, but they they can't do independent research projects with students. They can't do uh, theses with students. They don't advise students. They don't. So it's, you know, both those adjunct faculty members are not getting their due and the students aren't getting their due. And one of the things that this contract wants to do is is continue to increase the number of adjuncts.
0: Um, I want to get to a phone call quickly because we're getting a call here from Richard Judd, who is the former president of Central Connecticut State University. Uh, Hello there, sir. Thanks for calling in.
6: Hi, John. Thanks for letting me talk for a minute. Of
0: course. No no problem. What's on your mind?
6: Well, what's on my mind is listening to the panel, and it's not my place to enter into the negotiation issue with the board and the faculty. But I do want to point out one thing that I've heard several of the panelists say, which I think uh, needs to be expressed. And that is the four state public universities have a distinctly unique mission. And that mission, in my mind, is uh, that they're regional in nature. Now, if you look at the demographics of CCSU, there are something like over 60,000 living alumni. Of those 60,000, 80% of them, John, live within 20 miles of the campus. Not necessarily the same places in which they were born, but if you go back and look at who those people are and what they're doing, they are clearly serving a very functional and unique role uh, in our state's economy, serving public, business, industry, not-for-profits. And I think a fact of our faculty is that they uniquely understand this. They understand serving uh, this constituency. And I think that the Board of Regents, and Mr. Ojekian can go a long way in helping to foster that role. It's, It's totally different than the University of Connecticut. It's totally different than the community colleges. I think if they put their eyes on that goal of what these graduates will do down the road, and there's a long list of who they are, I don't have to go through them, but there's a long list of very good people who do a lot of good service.
0: I, and I asked our panelists this, sir. I mean, um, uh, should the system not be set up the way it's set up right now? Is the problem that the community colleges and these four schools are all kind of lumped in under this Board of Regents system, and there should be more autonomy amongst the, the various institutions?
6: Yeah, I believe so. It'll be in the, uh, I think Kathy Herman's has already said to you that uh, the missions are different. And uh, Matt Warshower is a graduate of or attended one of these places. Uh, many of them will ultimately uh, come to our state university or go elsewhere. But I think the mission needs to be focused on what are these four state public universities doing and how can we continue to urge them to meet the technology of the future, the needs of the state's economy? How can we grow the minds of these students who are taking liberal arts courses in all of the disciplines in Central. And that adds a significant benefit to uh, our state mind, if you will, the state of mind of our whole state. And I think if they focus there, a couple of people have mentioned, well, what if a program gets outmoded? There are steps at every one of the four state universities to deal with that. There are faculty curriculum committees that put limits on Watching the program, if they put a new degree in, in four years, they've got to look at it again. Is it doing what it's supposed to do? And if it's not doing, then there's a a way in which they can uh, ax that program out of the curriculum, ultimately. But the the benefit of the faculty, in my mind, always has been that uh, they're just great, great folks in terms of their discipline. If you even look at Matt Warshower, with his work in the Civil War uh, alone, uh, you've been involved in a lot of that program. And you know what? benefit he brings to the kids in the classroom. Well, that's where my head is.
0: Well, Richard Judd, former president of CCSU, thank you very much for the phone call, and I thank appreciate you. it. Thanks for listening. Um,
1: you want to jump in, Stephen? I do. Um, I'm, since the Board of Regents was formed back in 2011, I do think there's been a certain amount of distance between the board um, and its failure, really, to fully recognize the different missions that are associated with the community colleges and the state universities. Um, and I think I'm probably saying something that many of my faculty colleagues might not agree with, but there's many features of the merger that I think um, are worth pursuing and um, need to be developed further. When we have a graduating class at CCSU, the number of students that are graduating are greater than the number of our incoming freshmen. And that's because we have lots of students that transfer. So the students that are going to the community colleges in many ways become our students. Um, we're in the process of realigning curriculum between the community colleges and the state university. That's going to create greater transparency for students in the community colleges. But it's also going to mean that when students cross the threshold into community colleges, they have before them a 100 or so bachelor's programs at the state universities. And if we can do that alignment more clearly, I think that the It works out better for the students as well as for the state universities. Well, when you say do that alignment more clearly, what exactly do you mean? Does it have to do with geography? Does it have to do with what? Explain. Um, In the past, students would take an associate degree and then they would transfer into the the state universities. And some of the courses that they took at the community colleges may not um, articulate well inside of the four-year programs. Um, What we're engaged in now, it's, it's called TAP, the Transfer and Articulation Policy, but But what TAP is trying to do is really create, it's almost like a Venn diagram with 17 institutions. So one kind of curriculum that students would take at the community colleges in that they could understand how that's going to transfer to all four universities. And that will be done for um, every program inside of the system. So it's complicated. It takes really hundreds, if not thousands of faculty in order to um, pull that off. Um, but we're well on the way to sort of making that happen. Uh, we got a tweet from Rebecca who says community
0: colleges have a transfer mission providing rigorous associates degrees. The state universities should want those graduates. We, we actually talked about this with Marco Jakian. Had, I've had a back and forth with a few faculty members who say that this, this notion that we, that we haven't done better on transferring is somewhat overblown. Do you see this, Stephen? I mean, do you see that um, the system, now that it is, it is all together, that we're actually providing a, a better, smoother, more transparent way for students to get from their associate's degree
1: into the state university system than we have in the past? Um, I think it's still in the future to make that happen and to make it sort of really clear. Um, but I was chair of the sociology department and saw hundreds of students that would come in as transfer students. And every single one of them required um, very careful advising um, and pretty complicated kinds of things to do in order to make that curriculum work for that student.
0: Are, yeah, are, are we there, Matt? I mean, as, as far as making this system work together so that we can get uh, students from community college into CCSU, Southern, or one yeah, of the other schools?
3: Yeah, absolutely, no question. We're, we're we're absolutely moving in the correct direction. There's no there's no doubt about that. And and we've been moving in that direction for a long time. And we were already moving that direction be- before the, the the BOR was created. I think that's an important thing to 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 point out. But you know, if, if I may, I'd like to take a, a step back for a minute and and go back to something that we started with, and that is that you know the the concern, the reason that faculty are so Concerned right now, and I think that that's the right word. Is that we've since the foundation of this Board of Regents and, and the Systems Office, the idea was to save money. It hasn't saved any money. In fact, it's spent more money, and that means when more money is being spent, it means it's it's taking money away from faculty and it's taking money away from students. the The, the Board of Regents has a you know a, a huge budget, a forty million dollars a year budget. They don't teach a single student. Okay. I'm not saying that we don't need a systems office. I think that we do, in fact, need a systems office. But when we see, since the founding of this system in 2011, problem after problem, all these private corporatized contracts. This is why we say we're worried about corporatization. When we see all of this happening um, and then we see these contract proposals that put forth a, a lot of harsh things that are disturbing to us and we don't see a one proposal that could actually save money. We look at that, and we see a pattern, and we worry about it. Now, so that, that's point one of, you know, why we're so concerned and disturbed about all of this. The, the second component is that Mr. Ojekian, um has come in, and he said, you know— um, I, I didn't create these contract proposals. He came in very, very quickly as Gray left. He said, I'm not responsible for these contract proposals, but we need to, to work them through. I take him at his word. I've spoken to a lot of friends inside government who have said that Mark Ojekian really is a good guy and that he wants to do the right thing. Um, and, and I really hope that that is true. And what we need right now, or we need these contract negotiations to to speed up. They've been moving along at a very slow pace. We need them to speed up. We need to get through this process. We need to get it done with. The The worst possible thing that could happen is for this to go to binding arbitration, where neither side gets what it really wants. And so if Mr. Ojakin,
7: But
0: I'm sorry.
3: Isn't a negotiation one in which both sides doesn't get exactly what
0: they want? I mean, sure, you're not going to get everything. That you, that's no, the no, na- no, no. nature you're, of negotiation. You're it, absolutely right. You're <laughs>
3: absolutely right. Uh, but Mr. Ojakin has said that that these were not his proposals. So— He's now had an opportunity to to hear what faculty have to say and realize what our real concerns are. And I hope that he will move these negotiations on a little quicker. He's got an opportunity to come out of this really showing some tremendous, tremendous leadership. And we need this system to succeed. We absolutely need it to succeed. But if he – and this is just my yeah, last point, John yeah. – if this doesn't work out and, and it turns into a disaster – Uh, then Mr. Ojekian can't fall back on and say, well, these weren't my negotiations, these weren't my proposals. He's going to own them. So whatever happens, if we can't work this out, he is going to own it from here on out. And I would much rather have him be able to work with a faculty of which he is supportive and we are supportive of him than than to go down uh, years of problems, which is what it will be.
0: Uh, Kathy, did you want to jump in before we get to our next phone call?
2: Well, I kind of wanted to... Sort of match our discussion about the the tap and the transfer with this idea of the contract negotiations and what we're aiming at because I think we have a um, we have a vision problem, right? And one thing is that under N- Nick Donofrio's leadership, there's more and more uh, I think attempt for to speed people through the bachelor's degree. Uh, just take Norwalk Early College Academy for example, where as Governor Malloy said, we now have grades 9, 11, 9 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14, right? Um, well, we're not grades 13, 14, 15, and 16. And the idea that you can just start high school and it's a seamless process through your associate's degree and then you can pick up some more credits and uh, at the uh, CSUs and just graduate is, I think, a problem of vision that doesn't recognize the value of a thoughtful, um, non-test-based education.
0: We've actually had, on our program, we've had extensive conversations about this around uh, President Obama's plan to make community college free and whether or not uh, a grade 13 and 14 is actually the way we should be thinking about it. And I think a lot of people say, no, no, that isn't. I think it's also fair to say that there have been a lot of studies about uh, students who take longer than four years to graduate and— how their outcomes as far as finally graduating and then having meaningful employment that pays the bills afterward, sure. it falls apart. And so there's, it's probably all pretty sensible that people are saying, let's try to get people graduated in four years because after you, you go five and six years, almost everything looks like their outcomes become worse.
2: Sure. And let me say that I think that's in part why Mr. DeNofrio's sort of education to employment pipeline, the the school to workforce pipeline looks appealing to some people, but it wasn't until we started having, uh, in the whole country, um, an increased reliance on adjunct professors and fewer full-time professors that we started getting a problem with graduating in four years. Um, That may not be the whole problem, but it certainly is one of the problems. um, Because what students need is advising. Students need someone who guides their curriculum, who helps them think about their decisions, about what career track to pursue and how to best get that.
0: And they need to be able to get the classes. They need to actually be able to get the classes that they need to get, right?
2: This is also true. And
0: that's, and that's a really important piece of this. I want to quickly get to Will in New Britain before we go to a break. Hi there, Will. Go ahead.
4: Hi. Um, first of all, I'm very happy this is being talked about. My wife and I are uh, both recent CCSU alumni, um, and I can't stress enough how I'm actually currently a grad student at NYU, and I can't stress how important um, the relationships that I developed with the faculty at CCSU, uh, how important that was to me getting to where I'm at now. Um, in fact, Dr. Warschauer was at our wedding just last year. Um, so that's how deep these relationships can go. Um, so my question is: Is what can we do to mobilize the alumni community? How can we get involved in this issue?
0: Well, it's a great question. Anybody want to quickly uh, take a crack at that? Just because we're up against the break, Matt? Yeah.
3: Go to ct-higheredmatters.org. It's ct-higheredmatters.org, and there's a tremendous amount of information with all kinds of links to. Uh, your representatives and to members of the Board of Regents, and let your voice be heard.
0: Uh, I want to take a break. When we come back, there's a few more phone calls we want to get to, and we want to talk more broadly about really what the vision sh- for this system should be. We're talking with Matt Warshower, uh, Stephen Adair, and Kathy Hermes. They're all professors at uh, Central Connecticut State University, and we're talking about the CSU system across the state. of you want to join us, 860-275-7266. This is where we live. This is Where We Live. I'm John Dankowski. Coming up on tomorrow's show, three stories about food. And I do like to talk about food. Uh, we'll consider the global effects of food loss and food waste with the co-author of Food Foolish. We'll also learn how the strawberry went from seasonal delicacy. Remember, you them in June, to a staple fruit year-round, what that's meant for American farm workers. And also, it might be time to say goodbye to the banana because of a disease that's wiping out an awful lot of the crop. We'll be talking about food and where it comes from tomorrow on Where We Live. Today, we're talking about students, where they come from in the uh, CSU system, which includes Central and Southern, Eastern and Western Connecticut State University, as well as the community colleges around the state. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked with Marco Jakey, the new head of the Board of Regents. Uh, there are negotiations right now with faculty members, and we have some faculty members members sitting here with us right now. I want to quickly get to a couple tweets and maybe a, a few more phone calls in the last few minutes that we have. Uh, Jeff uh, tweets, the biggest problem is that average incoming freshmen at CSU is that they are 18 months below grade level. I don't know about the about the numbers there specifically, Stephen, but we s- certainly have heard an awful lot about students coming out of high school into the community college system, students getting into four-year college systems being far below Grade level and maybe needing a lot of remedial work. How does that play into what we're doing here with the CSU system?
1: Oh, it's absolutely that's absolutely true, John. Um, there's way too many students that are not college ready that come out of um, public high, public high schools, and we certainly need to have successful programs in order to develop them. Um, at the state universities, typically. Um, the students that do need development are able to take a single course, pass that course, and then move on. Um, that's not obviously true of all students, but for the vast majority of them, that's that's so. Some of the students that have the greatest amount of need, however, are at the community colleges, and they, they have been going through a pretty thorough restructuring about how it is that they do developmental ed. Um, some of those have been, I think, incredibly successful, and um, that too is important for us from the state universities in the sense that um, Connecticut, right, has the largest achievement gap in the country. We have um, we are the wealthiest state in the country, but also the second most unequal in terms of income inequality. Only New York is more unequal than we are, and we have three of the poorest cities inside of the country. So, if we're going to be successful, we need to reach out to the students that are underserved. Um, and not only from those that are college ready, but also need to be able to get students up to speed so that they can ha- achieve economic security for themselves and their families. And,
0: and I think that the people on, on every side of this debate would would agree with that assessment. So the question is, do the programs and offerings at the CSU system right now, at community colleges and at the four-year schools, align with our need to – Uh, close that achievement gap to get people who are able to actually get into college, get through college, graduate college, get jobs, stay in Connecticut, all the things that we're saying that we need to do.
1: Oh, there's a lot more work that needs to be done. Uh, What's that work look like, Kathy?
2: (laughs) I think, you know, I I see students like this. And I just want to say, when I was a student, I started at Boise State. I had to drop out for economic reasons, not developmental reasons. But um, it took me eight years to get my bachelor's degree, taking more than four years is not the end of the world. Um, but when we, what we try to do, we try to get students into the learning center. We try to get them into the writing center. We have all kinds of support systems. We offer freshman year experience courses to try to integrate people into the culture of the university. Um, so there are a number of things. And then uh, we have the advising centers that also meet with students outside of professors if you have other advising needs. So I think we've got the tools in place, and I think we have to learn to make very good use of these things. I think we're finding that many students who went through the sort of no-child-left-behind high-stakes testing regimes at public schools um, have some difficulty in college where we're emphasizing critical thinking and perhaps – disagreeing with one's professors or asking more critical inquiry types of questions um, because they've been taught to the test so much, and and we have to address this. Yeah,
0: unfortunately we're not going to be able to solve all of our education problems in in this conversation. Uh, Kathleen and Clinton, quickly, Kathleen, if you would.
7: Hi, thanks for taking my call, and thanks for having this on. I have three really quick points. Very quickly, yep. Um, say that indeed um, our students often don't finish in four years because these are students that come with economic burdens and I, I agree with Kathy I don't think that's the end of the world that was the case for me getting through a state university system and I think it's pretty common and to measure us against Wesleyan is kind of unfair considering who our students are I would also say that the university professors proposal contract proposal went in really with a fair proposal not asking for very asking for very little we have little to negotiate with because we didn't go into this contract negotiation asking for a lot understanding the economics of the state we are being punished for that right now at the board of regents level and my most you know the other point that hasn't been brought up i've been in the system for 18 years when i first came we had a president we now have a president a provost and a chief of staff AT THE BOARD OF REGENTS LEVEL, THOSE NUMBERS HAVE EXPLODED. ALL OF THOSE PEOPLE ARE MAKING BETWEEN ONE AND 200,000 OR MORE A YEAR. THE EXPLOSION IN THE ADMINISTRATION IN THE CSU SYSTEM MEANS THAT WE CANNOT TURN ADJUNCT FACULTY INTO PERMANENT FACULTY. PART OF THEIR PROPOSAL IS INCREASING THE NUMBER OF ADJUNCT faculties. That comes at the expense of those adjunct faculties, like you heard earlier, someone who wants to work full-time, who wants to advise students, who yep. wants to mentor students.
0: And, and Kathleen, I'm going to break in just because I want to give Matt Warshauer a, a last word, maybe to comment on, on that, but also see where do we go from here, Matt?
3: I think everything that she just outlined is exactly right. The The Board of Regents, the systems office in particular, it duplicates a tremendous number of positions of administrators that we already have and and we don't need those extra positions what we need is a, an adept systems office one that is smaller in size that focuses on on helping our missions and what it is we're doing on the ground as opposed to trying to, as I said before, micromanage us. Marco Jakin could be an outstanding leader for this system. We need somebody who can be our advocate in Hartford, who has a direct line to the governor's office, who, who knows legislators inside the General Assembly. If he could play that role and, and not attempt to tell us how to teach our classes mm. and how to run our programs, we could have a great system. I, I
0: hate to do this for 30 seconds. Left. What are you willing to give up? I mean, if we're going to negotiations, what do you give back?
3: Uh, I would be perfectly willing to let Kathy Hermes uh, leave my department. <laughs> uh, no, I I would never allow that to happen. Uh, you know what? I think there's a number of things in the contract that, that you know, I can't speak for the, the union leadership. But, you know, in financial straits, uh, there are some things that we can reduce in terms of cost. But we've got to let the universities, the, the, the system can say, we're only going to give you this much money. And the universities themselves can make that decision. We're capable of that.
0: Uh, Matt Warshower is a professor of history at Central Connecticut State University. Thank you very much for coming in. Thanks, John. Uh, the chair of his department, Kathy Hermit, who he just threw under the bus, clearly, <laughs> also joined us. Thank you very much. And Stephen D'Addire, professor of sociology at CCSU. Continue this conversation online. Go to wnpr.org slash where we live. I'm John Dankoski. Thanks for joining us.